Welcome to the Armani Talks podcast. I'm your host, Armani Talks. In this podcast, I'm helping you level up your communication skills every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. In this channel, I help you learn more about impromptu speaking skills, how to improve your social skills, creative writing, and other topics which will help you become much more articulate and melt away social anxiety for good. To stay updated with the latest videos, hit that subscribe button right on below, hit that bell notification, and never miss another video again. Today, we have Unapologetic Truths, Episode 5, with Harsh Strongman, Life Math Money. Welcome back. Hey, Arman. How are you? I could have good. sworn good. we were on Episode 6, not Episode 5. I'm getting a little muddy now. Yeah, man. And at this point, it's pretty dope because we have a lot of analytics, which you can't necessarily see from your end because these are being hosted on my YouTube channel, mm -hmm. but I can see it from my end. And one interesting thing that I've seen, Harsh, is that there's a good amount of people that finish these episodes all the way through. Where mm -hmm. with some people, if you're like, yo, man, we're going to record a three-hour podcast and there's going to be certain people listening to the entire thing. It doesn't seem logical, but when you see it in analytics form, it's pretty mind-blowing to see. You know, I've always found it a little interesting because personally, I think that I still have a lot to learn. And when I see people listening to me for three hours, I'm a little confused. I'm just a guy who has his own experiences and why is everyone listening to me? But I can see the value in learning from two people and I read a lot of blogs as well. But it is still something that I have not gotten used to. Like, I'm not a guru, quote unquote, or some kind of teacher. I'm just someone who is speaking out what he is learning in his life. And, and I think that's trying to add value to people. And I think that's what makes it intriguing in the first place. Because when someone is too perfect, and it seems as though they know all the answers, then that person is not relatable. Or guys like you and me, we're openly discussing our failures and our setbacks as well. So people are like, yo, this is something that I could resonate with because these people aren't perfect. They're actually just learning in the process. Agreed. I think that there is a certain amount of authenticity involved and relatability because of it. See, the, there's a weird thing about being a writer or anyone that is involved in any kind of business that involves connecting with people. A lot of people, what they try to do is that they try to appear too perfect and they know everything and they always know what to say and they're always right. And that's just fake. That That's fake. And the great irony is that not being fake, that is, accepting your faults and being who you are, you actually end up being more successful in the long run because your content is better. One of the phrases you brought up in the beginning of our talk was guru. And it's funny because in the West and in the East, guru is used in such a different way. Where in the East, I believe it translates to the remover of darkness. And it's a very respected figure. While in the West, 
it's been perverted to a point where there's so much guru bashing. (laughs) Yeah, and it's pretty sad at times because a lot of people that are doing what we're doing, we're just sharing our experiences. There's another group of people that are like, hey, is this person a guru? Yeah, yeah, this person is calling themselves a guru. Where I rarely hear someone just straight up say, hey, I am a guru in this field. They're just trying to be someone that's helping someone. And granted, there are scammers in the process, but it's just so funny to see how the West and the East view that particular word in such different lights. Yeah, it's it's a little weird to me as well, because as a kid, I was raised to respect the word guru. And now we are at a situation where it's an insult. So if someone on Twitter calls me a guru, I will probably block him because that's how it's usually intended nowadays. So the way okay. to identify scammers is that you have to first know the definition of a scam. Like a scam is someone who's trying to get money from you by selling you something that does not work. And that's how you identify scams. Like if someone's trying to sell you a $500 course that's supposed to make you a millionaire in two days, that's a scam. So just because someone has a big social media audience does not make them a scammer. Or just because someone is saying things you don't like does not make them a scammer. The definition of a scammer is someone who's trying to get money out of you by selling you a product that purports to to do something but doesn't actually do it. Like you will often find people selling, say, fake medicines or, you know, have you seen that detox water thing? I've heard of it. I've seen it. Uh, I've seen commercials on it, I believe. It's a scam. It's basically the the concept is that you drink this particular water and it's supposed to de- detoxify you, which is stupid because your body detoxifies itself. You don't need to drink or eat anything special for it. And mm-hmm. usually these are, this is just water mixed with some mild laxative, which is going to make you poop and you will feel, quote unquote, detoxified. So there's a lot of scam out there, but the the way to detect it is to see if the person is selling products that will not do what it's claiming to do. Like trading courses supposed to make you a millionaire or like, you know, turn $10,000 into $2 million in a week. And it's a scam. Like it's not, it's not going to happen. Or the chances of success are so low, so astronomically low that it's a baseless claim. Right, man. And the thing is, anywhere that you go, there's always going to be certain people that are selling the right stuff, and there's going to be certain people selling the wrong stuff. And just to give you an example of a scam, when I was, I believe, in college, uh, the first time I ever got scammed was when I was trying to buy websites uh, and fix it up and resell it, or just buy websites that get passive income. And this was one of the first business models that I was introduced to. It was called virtual real estate. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, these are, have like brokerage sites where you could contact someone who's selling a certain website. So my young self, immature self, by the way, hits up this guy who's apparently selling a site that generates $5,000 every month for only $2,500. And for some reason, I mean, I, was, I wasn't someone with common sense. And I was like, yes, uh, this is the right thing to do. So I'm over here wiring this guy money and eventually it just ends up being some idiot overseas 
And I think I was 17 or 18 at the time. And it was me and my business partner at the time who got scammed. But that was a legitimate scam. What wasn't a scam is, let's say I read a book, I don't properly apply it. And I'm like, this book doesn't work. That's idiotic. So being able to even spot people who say, this is a scam. There are certain people who are telling the truth. And there are certain people who are just lazy. Agree. And I think some people just don't understand what a scam is. So some people will think that if a product is overpriced or not worth it, that makes it a scam. So if someone's selling you, say, a book, and he's saying this is a, this is a, this is a bad book, and it turns out to be a bad book, but he's selling it for $2,000, it's not a scam because he's just telling you what it is, and that's the price he's charging you. It can be overpriced, but that does not mean it's a scam. To give you a popular example of something that's not a scam, are you familiar with this chick called Belle Delphine? She got super popular on Twitter because she was selling her bathwater for $30. Isn't she that video gamer or streamer? I have no idea. I just know that she's some chick from Instagram who was selling bathwater. I have heard of that. So if... No, no, no. I think everybody would agree that Anyone who buys bathwater is a complete idiot. But it's not a scam. If she's actually, the water you're buying is actually her bathwater and the product inside it is bathwater, then you're getting what is claimed. So it's not a scam. Even though you might consider it immoral, unethical, overpriced, you might consider the customer to be an idiot, but that does not make the seller a scammer. A scammer is someone who's selling you something that is different from the product he's advertising. Right. And it's something that you see in different interpretations. I believe there was this OnlyFans girl who said that she was going to give a naked picture of herself. And she was this very popular celebrity. So when she got on OnlyFans, it was seen as a big deal. But when people paid for her pictures, they never got it. So in this situation, it's a scam because she promised something and she didn't deliver that good. So this is a scam. The situation that you brought up, me and you can be repulsed that someone is buying someone else's bathwater. But it is what it is, man. I mean, there's a market for it. And she's technically living up to her promises. So to spot scams, it requires judgment from the person who's either going to buy it or not buy it. Agree. Although what's funny is that I think in the future, there will be software that will allow you to take any picture and turn the people in the picture naked. And I I recently did a course on machine learning from this guy called Andrew NG, who is apparently a co-founder of Coursera. And doing things like this, machine learning is actually not that difficult in the sense that it isn't some magic It's just a bunch of programs that are using mathematical and statistical formulas to approximate a function that produces a particular type of result you want. So, for example, if you feed the machine learning or machine learning is probably not the best name. Let's say the statistical algorithm with a bunch of photographs of women with the clothes on. And the same woman in the same place without her clothes. And then come up with a mathematical function that takes image from the one with the clothes to the one without the clothes. 
and come up with a formula that produces the image without the clothes from the image with the clothes with a very high degree of accuracy are you getting mm-hmm. me did you follow that yeah you're basically doing a comparison no you're not doing a comparison what you're doing is that here first you have an input and the output you want okay so now let's say you have thousands of such examples now you're using a statistical tool or you know a bunch of statistics to study how you can get from the input to the output yourself without being given the output so mm-hmm. let's say that you have been given the outputs 1 2 3 4 sorry you've been given the input 1 and you've been given the output 2 for the input 3 the output is 4 so if you have a lot of such examples you can use statistical tools to figure out that the formula is probably n plus 1 that is the, you add 1 to the input and okay like that so what you're doing is that you're trying to come up with a formula that when you take any input in will give you an output that is trained on the examples you've already given it so if you gave it a bunch of examples of dogs and a bunch of examples that are not dogs you would have expected it to f- use those algorithms to figure out which patterns in that in picture represent dogs and when those patterns are missing that means there's a do- there's no dog in the picture and it's not really that complex the hard part is getting a lot of training data so i think that in the future given the amount of pornography on the internet and the fact that mm-hmm. computing is getting very cheap there will be software that will be able to do things like let's say it it, it can take a photo of anybody make them naked or change the face on any other photograph take a video and then put a face on it or take a picture and then turn it into a video of some kind and these things to some extent already exist so you can take an image and turn it into a talking head and that is a little scary because you see now you cannot trust people in pictures because of how edited pictures tend to be in the future you you won't even be able to trust video dude that's scary because i saw this one video of barack obama one time saying a lot of curse words and i'm like huh when did obama curse like that and it seemed so freaking real but it wasn't real it was this ai generated or whatever you're speaking about right now i don't know the exact phrase but it was a manipulation of a video not a picture so if you're someone seeing barack obama for the first time you'd be thinking man who is this guy that's cursing a lot you just cannot tell that it was artificial you know i don't think it's so bad i think that it's a good thing because it allows you to have plausible deniability because see what happens nowadays is that the internet is big and wide and if you make a mistake or you see something you should not have and it gets captured on video you're fucked like the kangaroo court of social media will try to get you fired from your job destroy your reputation etc but if this technology mm-hmm. becomes common and well known to have to exist then you can just say it, it's not me it's, it's a fake video like you have some kind of plausible deniability and i think that the world is 
the world as it exists today with the social media kangaroo court we are better off with this than without it although of course there's there's a very negative impact on women because of this because of course people are going to use it to make their friends naked in pictures just for date <laughs> i hooked up with this girl look <laughs> so that, i i would bet that people who are good with photoshop are already doing that without telling anyone well i used to have this one uh, friend in high school who would always magically have all these different girlfriends and him you know standing next to all these different girls in photos his arms around their shoulders and i'm like and how is he getting all these girls he's so socially awkward he doesn't act right what's the deal and eventually by senior year we found out that he was photoshopping himself in each of these pictures but for the longest time man despite him being awkward there was this perception that he was the ladies man even though it was just completely made up i just came up with a business idea so to speak i'm very surprised that i have never seen services that will basically do things like putting you next to some celebrity or you know take a picture of some girl you like and just morph her to be nude or something like that like i think that that is something that would be very high in demand but personally i have never seen anything or anyone do it maybe it does happen but it doesn't seem to be widely advertised as it should be in, i shouldn't say should be i think that i mean that this is there's a big demand there so you would expect it to be there but it's not like you would expect the service to be very wide and commonly provided but it just isn't well you heard it here folks a harshest business idea for you your go getter <laughs> not for you I, i don't think this is a business that's a good one i think it's a profitable no. one but i wouldn't do it personally well what i do recall was a couple of years ago there was this guy that was becoming a celebrity because he was photoshopping such realistic images of him hanging out with celebrities where it looked literally like he was best friends with them and i remember he was going viral i can't think of his name right now but i wonder if he was able to monetize that virality but there was something similar along those lines it just wasn't nude photos or anything like that hmm. now to take that idea even further the uh, you know where you could nowadays morph videos for some reason i just had a thought of a uh, let's say a, a leader of a country that gets their video morphed and it's a morphed video of them declaring war on another country and it's being marketed as though it's real do you think down the line i, I just want you to engage your pessimistic side for a second that wars can be start started due to morphing videos or do you think that's beyond question i don't think any war will start because of it i do think that there will be a period where these technologies are well becoming popular fast where people will definitely make and spread videos like these mm. but i don't think it will lead to anything because see if a country outright declares war on you i would think that these countries would have a way to communicate directly right like i don't i don't think that we're at a time where a country just declares war and goes to war and there there's no no there's no communication involved anywhere in the middle so mm-hmm. but i do think that there will be a period of time i don't know how long it would be or when it would start where these 
morphed images, morphed videos would start getting really popular. And it would be really easy to make them like via phone apps, I think. Like it, it should be very simple from what I learned in machine learning. It, it's a very trivial thing to do this. Mm-hmm. And at that period, there will be some people who will be aware of this technology and some people who will not be. And the people who are aware of this will try to troll people who are not. Right. I believe it was on episode three where we were wrapping up and you said that one of your friends introduced you to some prank channels. Well, another type of niche that's forming nowadays is where couples are pulling pranks on each other. So it's in the niche of pranks, but it's even more niche down with couples. And it was hilarious because there was this one video where the girlfriend was really mad at her boyfriend for some reason. And the boyfriend kept getting that one filter on Snapchat where you put a smiling face on the other person. So he was recording a video of his girlfriend extremely mad and he posted that smiling uh, face on her so he's like you see guys uh, my girlfriend forgave me look at her smiling like this and the girl's like what are you talking about i didn't forgive you but as she's saying this in a very angry voice she's saying it while smiling so you gotta see the video up front but it's very funny because now you could even create entertainment with this do you know what's interesting with these things that people do online is that these things tend to move in waves in the sense that there'll be some trend that'll get really popular and then in some time it'll die down when everyone's doing it so when you say there's people playing around with these smileys Mm -hmm. if it's going viral then it's likely that it's going to be seen by everybody because of how many people will start doing it And then suddenly it'll start dying down. Yeah, dude. I mean, this is now becoming, because I would say in 2012, just pulling pranks was very big. Then nowadays it's these couple pranks where they're playing pranks on one another. I'm pretty sure that they know when the other person is playing a prank, but it's just popular. I mean, there's a huge demand for it. I think they would have to know because the cameras they're using to record are so big that mm-hmm. how would he not know? Like if there was a camera pointing in my face in my house, I would know even if it was hidden. And these things are hard to hide because once you give away a hiding location, then it's gone and you can't reuse it. But I would think that since they're continuously producing this content, they have to be aware that they're being pranked, but they just go along with it because it's a business. You know, I was researching why these pranks died down after episode three. And I found something interesting. The reason these pranks kind of died down was there were two reasons. One reason was that YouTube changed its monetization algorithm and the Mm -hmm. prank channel's revenue basically became 10% of what it used to be. So earlier, a prank, prank video that might get a lot of views might end up paying you five to ten thousand dollars will now only pay you five hundred dollars or something like that so a lot of these prank channels just shut down because it was no longer economically viable to do them or they just started to shift their content to something that was more profitable and i i also i watched a video called the decline of youtube pranking so there was there's also a bunch of people called h3 h3 productions uh some Ethan and Hilda, 
there's some two people and apparently what they did was they were exposing a lot of people who were doing these pranks and turns out that these pranks were fake a lot of them mm-hmm. were not real pranks they were just people paying actors and actresses to get pranked which i completely understand you know because the way the internet works is that things have to keep escalating like if you saw one type of content for you to watch something again it would have to keep getting spicier and spicier and the type of content pranks on the public is that to keep making it spicier and spicier you're getting into the territory where you're actually just hurting people and getting yourself into legal trouble like if if your first prank was pulling someone's chair then your next prank has to be pulling the chair and then kicking him in the face or something like that mm-hmm. so you would get to a point where you would want to hire an actor because there's no fucking way you're going to do that to random people on the street and not get your ass beat or end up in jail because of it oh yeah dude and just to add on to that you were bringing up how prank channels don't get paid that much that's 100% true because on youtube they really factor in the type of views that you get so if you're getting a lot of views especially for a prank channel it's mainly general views where let's say you have a very niche channel that just speaks about finance or accounting even though that channel is getting less views it's targeting a different audience who most likely has money versus a general audience so if you're already over here doing pranks maybe you're putting your life on the line plus you're not getting paid that much at that point even if i'm the prankster i'll be like well, let me get some of these actors coming in so we could spice it up because for most of the people that are watching these i don't know if they really care if it's real or not they really just care for the entertainment value that's my personal two cents why i watch prank videos you know, do you watch it for any other reason i don't think that it's just about entertainment value i think that people want them to be real and if people know that the prank is fake then it's less entertaining even though it's the same video to hmm. give you another example you know there are some games that are they say that they're multiplayer but they're not actually multiplayer and i learned about it from my friend and he says that to make a multiplayer game you end up at a problem of chicken and egg where when you make a new game you don't have anyone who's playing it there are no there are no players right so if the game is multiplayer and there's new player then you introduce the game to some players they're going to be like there's no one here like i'm the only person playing it so it's boring and so no one's going to adopt your game and because no one's adopting your game your game will never be successful because see you need you need to get that critical mass of audience where a new player knows that since it's a multiplayer game there's going to be other people playing it but if if no right. one is playing the game then it's it's not multiplayer and it's not even fun then so what these guys do is that they they market a game as multiplayer but it's really a single player game <laughs> no way i never <laughs> so it's, it's it's an ai game and i was really surprised when he told me this and he says that there's another factor to this even when the game gets popular as a single player game uh-huh the developers think that since everyone's enjoying this game so much why make it multiplayer in the first place like let let everyone think it's a it's a single multiplayer game while keeping it a single player game and the advantage of doing that it's that it's much easier to develop a multiplayer a single player game it's much cheaper because you don't have to have a big server coordinating everything and it's easier to fix bugs and everything 
So there's a huge incentive <laughs> to make a single player game and market it as multiplayer. Yeah, and I could see exactly what you're saying. If I found out that I'm not really playing multiplayer individuals, I probably instantaneously look at the game differently. Yeah, you would stop playing it because it takes a lot of the fun away. Like then you're not beating other people, then you're just beating some bot and who cares about that? So Yeah, I definitely get your point about when you find out it's not real, it changes your perception. Because when I was a little kid, uh, did you ever watch wrestling growing up? Uh, World Wrestling Entertainment? I did not, but I read a book on wrestling once called To Be The Man by Ric Flair. So I'm familiar with the sport. Yes, uh, Ric Flair was one of the top dogs back in the days. So in the initial stages, I don't know how popular or how real people thought wrestling was. But a lot of it is rehearsed. It's scripted. Isn't where it people know. Rehearsed? Yeah, it's rehearsed pretty much. But here's a little twist that I'm going to give you. So basically, once people found out that it's not real, there was this huge backlash where people were calling these wrestlers fake. And as a little kid, when I found out wrestling wasn't real, immediately, my whole perception of it changed. I was like, huh? No way, man. Like, I can't take this seriously. It's because I was a hardcore fan. I think for general fans who just watch it, they didn't really care. They're like, ah, whatever. I mean, it, it's funny to watch anyways. But as a hardcore fan, my perception changed. Now, a few years goes on by, and I would say two to three years ago, I met this very popular wrestler, uh, Batista, in uh, the, the Tampa Bay Mall. And he's this big wrestler that turned into a professional uh, actor. You know, he made the movie Guardians of Galaxy. I know you don't watch movies, but it's a pretty big blockbuster. So as we were talking, he said that he loves to act a lot because it doesn't have this toll on his body. And as I was speaking to him, I saw that wrestling, yes, it's technically fake in terms of it being scripted, but the baggage that it holds on these people's bodies is insane, where some people have spinal injuries for the rest of their lives. They're collarbone is loose uh, they can't walk straight uh, some of them have like brain damage and that's when i started to understand why people who are professional wrestlers they hate it when you call them fake because there's a lot of sacrifice behind the scenes that goes on apparently they're on the road like 250 days out of the entire year i'm like bro man that's insane just going from location to location uh just to basically serve as entertainment for someone else. So I I started to see both sides of the argument where, yes, it's fake, but there's another part of it where there's so much risk still being take, taken despite it being fake, which still makes me respect the art form as an adult that my little kid self suddenly lost respect for. Hmm. I think of it as even if the guy is working very hard, what he's doing is essentially acting. It's a fake thing. So I, I I think of this whole fake wrestling thing the same way I think of plays and theater where sure these guys are working really hard but they're doing nothing important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be honest, well, that's how I also think of real sports like cricket and football. I think they're just wasting their time and doing something that like they're essentially dedicating their life to hitting a ball with a bat and I, I don't I don't see the 
the point of doing that i i know people don't like to i know people, <laughs> the fans of those sports are like this is an important thing but like no it's not if you if you take top chess players and i love playing chess but i would not dedicate my life to playing chess it's a it's a board game i i do i will not become a chess player professionally like i, I don't see the point of it's a waste of a life in my opinion hmm so you're not so you don't necessarily respect uh competitive sports too much i don't disrespect the people who do it but i think of it as the person who's doing it is not doing anything meaningful at least from my definition of meaningful in the sense that he isn't doing anything to add any anything other than entertainment to human society and human beings and he isn't he isn't creating anything useful or something that will last a long time i think that i think of them as all as entertainers even if the sport is real or even if it's fake like they're just entertaining other people mhm see i think this is one of the points that i believe in a few of our episodes we normally disagree on this part because i personally see that competitive sports uh yes they're not necessarily providing any practical useful value uh, such as creating a certain service but i think they provide a lot of symbolic value where guys like muhammad ali uh they can serve as inspiration and that inspiration can translate into something that's very practical uh, i just to give you an there. example i i agree with you there i think that a lot of it is very inspiring to give you an example i was reading a book called into thin air and that got me into basically learning a lot about how the mount everest has climbed and its history i researched quite a bit on it and I found it super inspiring that humans decided to do this and I even tweeted I think that white people are insane but <laughs> I saw that too <laughs> as it, as they're more risky risk tolerant yeah, or they risk have, seeking they do crazy things like who wants to climb a mountain that's trying to kill you the locals who were living there didn't do that no one did that but white people will send expedition after expedition trying to figure out how to get to the top for ego sick so but you know it, i don't i think that it, it's a it's a very good thing and a bad thing at the same time the whole culture they have there but i digress i was initially talking about why i forgot what the original point was just remind me regarding competitive sports you're saying it doesn't have value i'm saying oh, no, it does I, have value i think it does have inspirational value like you take people who are say powerlifting and they're lifting 300 400 kg the guy who deadlifted 500 kg i think his name was eddie hall or something yeah that mm-hmm. guy i found that super inspiring <laughs> that is something i would like to be able to do but i just still i feel that someone dedicating their life to something that essentially isn't productive it's a little doesn't compute with me Yeah, no, I see where you're coming from. Where you're saying they're not necessarily providing a business, where they're not serving they're not serving a practical value such as giving knowledge or giving some sort of service. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but I think that is just my opinion in the sense that I can totally understand why someone would want to become a powerlifter. I just 
for not want to do it myself and right I, at some level i personally think of them as entertainers i don't i don't think of it as a serious thing you know often these celebrities would show up on social media and start making political statements and uh, end up saying the most popular thing and things like that and there'll there'll be millions of people who will listen and essentially what they're saying holds a lot of weight with them and i just think that that's just dumb like okay let's take a great singer like it's great that someone can sing well but that doesn't mean they know anything important about anything else in fact it kind of goes to show that they probably do not know much about anything other than their field because of how much dedication that field requires yeah i mean i wrote a tweet before where those people that are like these celebrities need to speak up on these issues are misguided because celebrities need to be well informed themselves just because you're a master in one field does not necessarily mean that it'll translate to another field now just to give you an example of this i know you haven't heard of michael jordan but i think you mentioned you heard it of muhammad ali uh, michael Ali's jordan Ali. yeah michael jordan's impact to basketball was ali's impact to the sport of boxing where ali is regarded as the goat michael jordan is regarded as the goat of basketball one of the main criticisms of michael jordan was that he was not too politically involved where he didn't give his opinions on political issues enough and his detractors are like well that hurts his legacy my thing is why does he need to be politically involved sure if he's well informed on the topic then give your opinions but no one's necessarily living the life of Michael Jordan and the behind the scenes stuff where to even create an opinion is not just simple as creating an opinion instead it has a lot of moving variables that only Michael Jordan is aware of where a journalist that's critiquing him is not aware of so i don't i'm not for the camp where just because you're a celebrity you have to give your two cents and i actually see that this is becoming dangerous my point in regards to uh athletes serving value is beyond a little bit beyond um just entertainment value i believe if you're an entrepreneur who is having your back pushed against a wall because entrepreneurs have to wake up every morning and they're pretty much going through a lot and there's no one book where it's like hey this is how you become an entrepreneur from a to z so to be a successful entrepreneur i think you should be extremely knowledgeable in multiple different fields and that's where athletics can plug in beautifully there's a lot of famous entrepreneurs who are like man this one particular athlete just sparked that emotion in me which allowed me to understand that i was being a wimp in my industry and i started to push through so i would say it's a little bit more than let's say them just lifting and them just putting a ball in a hoop the mere act of putting a ball in a hoop takes a uh, commitment takes a lot of moving variables behind the scenes to just make that target happen it's sort of like as an entrepreneur uh, to make a profitable business sure uh, someone may say oh well it's just you making money but to make a business profitable there's a lot of moving variables so i think just when you look really close into certain competitive sports 
you can draw a lot of insights from athletics into business. Arman, I I think that I agree with you. I think that you might be conflating mastery as a whole with just competitive sports in the sense that all the inspirations that you said are to be drawn are being drawn from mastery and that someone has mastered something to an extent that no one else has and they are they're, they're brilliantly good at something and that is that's what's inspiring if you take something like wrestling which is fake i don't think it inspires anybody because there's no mastery involved there it's just acting so if you take something like uh, i was watching a video of uh, japanese people making knives and apparently it takes them a long while to make knives but the knives are very high quality and they have been doing this for generations and mm-hmm. that's a level of mastery that's very inspiring like these guys are doing something that that is world class and i think the inspiration comes from there like to like the guy you're saying uh some michael uh, jordan michael jordan yeah so if you take this guy this guy is a footballer and he's very good at playing football in fact he's trained all his life to do it so well and you respect the mastery and not the game because the game is just a game are you getting me like if I he was a master in something else he would still be feel just as inspired by his level of mastery in that particular thing all i think is that if you're going to dedicate your life to something why not be a master in something that is useful i see what you're saying uh, back to the wrestling example real quick younger me stopped respecting wrestling because i was viewing it from the lens of wrestling when i found out they weren't real wrestlers i'm like man you guys aren't skilled but older me the person that invested in public speaking and communication skills rewatched wrestling and i found out that these people are skilled mcs where just imagine this where you have to speak in front of a crowd a live show by the way and you have to speak in front of an mc without fumbling any of your words so i was able to see that act where yes they had a great skill set but i was able to see huh this is actually something that's possible where in a live show you could speak that great without fumbling an older version of me was able to once again draw some inspiration from that that i was able to directly apply to the armani talks brand mm, that makes so, a lot of sense i mean as a little kid i lost a ton of respect for wrestling but older me i decided to listen to some uh, interviews of the ceo of wrestling uh, vince mcmahon and he said that he wanted wrestling to be a soap opera where he wanted have you heard of like disney world walt disney yes i have yeah so he wanted to basically create these characters that people can resonate with and they basically sh- show and perform through the act of wrestling so what walt disney created with mickey mouse and goofy and minnie mouse he wanted to create those same concepts with the rock stone cold steve austin and triple h so when i saw what vince mcmahon was trying to do where his intention from the get go was never hey i'm going to create this full on combat sport his intention was i want to create this uh, storytelling business where people act through wrestling 
That's when me as a businessman, I started to see what he was trying to do. Does that make sense? Yes. You know, I think that the UFC is essentially... Oh, you heard of the UFC, yes. Yeah, I, I really like the UFC. I, I know a guy who is a fighter from the UFC, so I know that's how I know of UFC, so I watch some fights of his. So the UFC, I think, is that branch of wrestling which is actually real. All the people who wanted to watch real people fight yes, are the people who started watching UFC. Yes, and that's why UFC had such a meteoric rise later on, because that was their unique selling point, where Dana White was capitalizing on what you just said. He's like, no, we're real fighters. A WWE is that fake stuff. And he created that separation. And that's how UFC started to you know, keep drawing more and more crowds. And the entertainment is great. Uh, do, do you watch UFC fights? I have watched some of them and I've watched, I didn't watch the entire fight. I just watched the YouTube compilation. Gotcha. Yeah, man. I mean, it's great works of body, especially nowadays with boxing struggling where since boxing is not centralized at all, they have little pockets of centralization, but since it's so decentralized, I don't know if you've been updated with what's happening in boxing where a lot of uh, famous YouTubers are now entering the industry. They're getting their boxing license. They're doing a lot of celebrity fights. Uh, Evander Holyfield just got in a fight recently, and he's 58 years old. Uh, And He's the guy that uh, Mike Tyson bit his ear. So just imagine, Harsh, a 58-year-old getting into the boxing ring. I have to ask, why do people still train boxing when... MMA is better from from what I have heard. So here's the thing. Boxers get paid way more if they're strategic about it, if they know how to promote themselves. Where UFC, since it's under management, they don't get paid as much. So a lot of UFC fighters are actually having boxing fights and they're getting paid more than they've ever had. And one example is Conor McGregor, who was pretty much the cash cow for UFC. But when he had his crossover fight with Floyd Mayweather, bro, they made a shit ton of money. So with boxing, due to the lack of restrictions, you're able to negotiate a way higher salary. And think about it like this, Harsh. If you're a freaking UFC fighter and you're going to boxing, a part of you thinks, wait a minute, man, I'm getting kicked to the head. I'm doing elbows. I'm doing all this. And you're telling me I just have to. Uh, throw hands right now even though boxing is extremely skilled uh, it's not as easy as people think but the thing is with boxing harsh you can make way more money if you are leveraged correctly and you know how to promote yourself Mm, that's interesting i've also heard of something called muay thai and it's Mm -hmm. a shame that it's not as well known as boxing is because it's like boxing on steroids muay thai Muay Thai, I'm, I'm not that familiar with these things. I mm-hmm. did learn boxing for a while. I I went for like three months and then the lockdown happened. So the guy who was teaching me boxing still owes me nine months of training. Oh, dang. You trying to knock someone out? <laughs> I have no idea where they are. The boxing gym closed down in the lockdown. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't think I'm ever getting my money back or the training. So let's see. I might join again once the whole pandemic thing is done. And were you sparring or were you learning the technique? I only went for three months. So I did have some sparring. It was not that much. I did learn some technique. Although from what I experienced with the sparring, I once took a stronger punch to my head than the the other guy was also a trainee, so he did not know how to control his strength. So the punch kind of shook me up for a day or two. I could not think so clearly. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that learning boxing is the smartest thing to do because most people, and that is 99% of people, will not get into fights. So I don't think that getting all these hits to the head is safe. And I don't think it's worth it. I think that I would probably learn wrestling or something which does not involve my head getting hit so much because it's just safer. And did you have one of those headgear on or just direct, you got punched to the head? I don't remember. I remember I tried that headgear thing on, but it, it was making me very slow. So I took it off and our trainer encouraged us to take it off because when you are slower, it's very difficult to dodge and you're more likely to get hit. And it doesn't actually reduce the impact that much. The thing with boxing is that since everyone's wearing gloves, it's not like MMA or anything where you punch and you withdraw your hand. With boxing, people punch hard and what hits you is not the strength of the punch, but the momentum. In the sense that it, the momentum gets transferred to your brain and your brain kind of crashes into your skull. Ooh. And that's what causes people brain damage from boxing. It's a concussions that pile up with time. And I think I got like a mini concussion and I really could not think straight for a day or two. I, had, I, I remember I was coding something and I just could not code properly. And I remember reading a book and I remember reading the page three times to understand what it was saying. So... I just spent the day sleeping. I had a headache. So I decided that boxing is probably not the best sport to learn because it's not like I'm going to get into fights. So I should probably switch to something like wrestling. But then the lockdown happened and here we are. Especially in your field, Harsh, where you pretty much get paid to think. So you better take care of your mind to the best of your abilities. Agree. I just don't think it's worth getting any kind of brain damage at any point in your life because it just, there's no point doing it. Like, why would you want brain damage? Yeah, dude. I mean, that's the thing that you want to be very careful of, especially with a certain sport that you pick up. And that's the thing with Muay Thai, where I don't know much about it, if anything at all. But I remember that I heard from one of my friends that there's this one fight style where you're not really fighting, but you're actually defending yourself and you're able to minimize attacks on you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Where it's different, where you're not hitting, but you're actually being more proactive. Like you're trying uh, to dodge. Yeah, I mean, is it judo or... I don't, know. I don't know much about these fights, but they call it martial arts for a reason, where people that are into this stuff, they know the science, the details, the artistic side of it behind the scenes as well. You know, the thing with martial arts is that 
it's a it's an all encompassing word but i would say that most martial arts are bullshit in the sense that i learned karate for a while and it's complete nonsense because <laughs> it's just something that doesn't work okay it, it would not work in a real fight when the other person is being very aggressive with you there are the, the i'll tell you which martial arts are actually good and real and will actually help you in a fight there's boxing mm-hmm. there's kickboxing there's mma there's muay thai there's a brazilian jiu jitsu bjj and regular jiu jitsu and i think wrestling and that's about it because these are the ones that have actual sparring and full contact or you know you get practice in stimulated fights with karate you're just punching in the air and kicking in the air and you don't have any experience with fighting most fights don't last super long especially if you're fighting a trained person people just go and punch aggressively and one punch connects on the the guy who gets punched faints so it's very important to actually do something that involves sparring and that gives you real experience against an opponent who is doing his best to hurt you gotcha how important would you say it's for a guy to learn fighting and incorporate it into their lifestyle it depends if someone is lower in confidence and has self doubt and doesn't feel strong it's extremely important for him to learn how to fight because it's going to fix those things and it you know when you can beat up somebody it changes your demeanor a little bit and that shows you you end up being more dominant and people respect that but when someone already has a lot of self confidence and doesn't have self doubt issues there is still a lot of advantage in learning how to fight but it's not a game changer so if you learn how to box or you learn wrestling it's still going to be advantages it's going to make you fitter and in the off case that you do get into a fight it will be of use to you but it's not going to change your entire world or your existence so it it really depends on who is learning i would recommend most people do learn some kind of fighting from my experience i would personally learn something like wrestling because i don't think it's it's a very good idea to get punched in your head repeatedly yeah and a lot of just famous fighters in general if you hear their origin story a lot of them used to get bullied which made them double down on learning how to fight in the first place hmm if you've been bullied in your life i definitely think you should take up fighting i guess so i would strongly recommend it yeah be- beating thing- up your bullies no i don't think that's a good idea because see when you beat up somebody you run the risk that you'll going to get sued and then you have to fight a police case and it's it may or may not be worth it it really depends on the situation and the person's temperament i know people who are so aggressive that they just don't care if they go to jail like it's, it's not a big deal for them have you ever been bullied before not too much i think everyone's been bullied a little bit but nothing that that's that would shake me forever right 
there was this debate that was happening on this one popular uh, men's podcast where one guy was saying, I believe that bullying is a good thing and they need to be people need to be bullied more because it makes men stronger. While the other guy was like, wait, what? That's the uh, no, dumbest no. thing it, ever. Yeah, it's dumb. But it, it was just, uh, it was unique to see the different perspectives because the guy that was making the case for bullying was extremely good at articulating himself while the guy that was against bullying uh, would stutter a lot. So it was just funny just hearing them interact with one another because you never hear the case for bullying. And this guy was so convinced in his thought process where he started to explain why he thought this way. And his family apparently moved from Sudan and he used to get uh, bullied a lot, him and his best friend. And this apparently made him try to double down, get stronger, becoming become more powerful. And now that one friend that used to get bullied is a professional football player. And this guy who is making the case for bullying uh, hosts a very successful men's podcast. So I'm not for bullying, but it was just unique to see this guy's perspective as to why he was for it. You know, there's a lot of arguments that can be made for and against something, but you have to look at how things are actually going on. And regardless of whatever arguments that are for bullying, uh, which this guy is saying, if you look at the people who are being bullied, I don't think it's right to be to bully someone. And I don't think that it should be encouraged. And I think that it leaves deep psychological scars in the people who do get bullied. Because oh. these guys will carry it forever. Like This is not something you're going to forget. So... I don't, I don't think it's right. And I think it's very naive to think bullying is good because let's extend that argument. Why is it wrong to bully adults then? Like, how about we start bullying that guy? Right. Then Absolutely. Then we think it's such a bright idea. No, and it was, it was ironic that you just said that because next week, uh, his brand was getting attacked nonstop where a mob was coming for him. And each video was getting uh, hugely disliked. And he was getting bullied himself. Um, what I personally meant, Harsh, is that uh, let's say you are someone that's getting bullied. So for me personally, there was a period nonstop when I was a little kid. I used to get made fun of my accent a lot and just for being very quiet. And basically, if someone is getting bullied, where you can, you know, tell your parents and, you know, your family about it, where for my case, I use that as the opportunity to, you know, double down on the speaking uh, skills and try to create that niche for myself. Uh, so it, basically, my thing is, if you are someone that's getting bullied, uh, you know, you can make other people aware or you could just keep getting uh, keep doubling down and keep getting better in your own right. But, yeah, I 100 percent am against that where you're just like making fun of someone for the sake of making fun of them. See, from what I can tell. And I did get bullied a little bit back in school. On what? On what? Anything particular? I think it was a little bit for my voice. And I think I, I at least I'm told by other people that I have a weird accent. I just don't hear it myself. I think my voice is normal. Uh, yeah, I think, and I used to be a bit chubby, but nothing, it, it, it didn't. So I know some people who did get bullied a lot and I can tell that it left a psychological scar on them because in the future, let's say five years from now, when I do talk to them, they still 
are not as open as normal people are in the sense that they are some some of them are a little reserved and i think that the bullying is a factor into why their personality is like this i think that taken the right way some people can use it as fuel but you can use any negative experience as fuel that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that negative experiences are good or should be encouraged on people because where do you draw the line is is killing people good like if if you kill someone's friend it might motivate them to become much stronger out of a desire for revenge so is that a good thing or not it's not so right i think that there are better ways to make people stronger than bullying them <laughs> i think that would be my argument yeah yeah and i don't think we're even opposed on this one where i'm for that as well where you shouldn't just be picking on someone for the sake of picking on them but let's say you are someone that's getting picked on i believe you could even use this as a moment to you know become better uh where it may not make sense now because when i was a youngster bro i didn't really get it where i was like man my voice isn't that bad or man my accent isn't that bad and to add on to that where you were a little chubby for your age i was very skinny so i would get skinny shamed a lot too so i was getting made fun of for being shy and for being skinny and that's something that just over time for the first couple of years it weighed down on me but over time i'm just like man this is actually powering me up because i'm getting the worst parts out of the way and it's kind of like when someone chokes on their first speech which for me you know i talk about it on the my story section of armani talks uh, .com where i break down that one of my first opportunities to speak i pretty much choked on stage and i didn't say a single word and what was very traumatizing at that moment was eventually something that served as fuel it gave me a chip on the shoulder because i got the worst part out of the way and the next time i got on stage the fear of choking the speech was like oh no what if i choke the speech i'm like wait a minute i already choked the speech and i'm still here today it gave me that confidence boost just knowing that i was getting back on stage again mm-hmm. uh, so so for me personally man like i'm not over here saying that uh, bullying was good for me but i believe it kind of m- just sparked a different layer in me where nowadays i was moved with a chip on the shoulder i try to carry myself like an underdog so that that's just been my personal experience you know see when i think of being bullied like at least my experiences with when i used to get bullied when i was like 13 or 14 maybe it was that oh, that was the same age for me I, i actually i i've actually thought about it and i have a very clear idea of what happens and i will get into that but you know what you're saying that i was on stage and the next time i was on stage and i knew that i'm still here i think i started thinking of that much later when i was self improving so i was able to put context on those memories but I, i i simply did not think of it that way when i was going through the experience itself at mm-hmm. that point it was just like what the fuck is wrong with these people why are they doing this to me and the, you just don't It, while you're going through that negative experience it's just a plain negative experience for no reason and then you just give it context as some kind of rationalization or to use that memory for energy in the future mm-hmm. but it's still a negative memory like you would rather not have it 
so yeah to continue on why is everyone who's bullied it happens around the age of 12 13 and 14 and the reason is that kids at that age they have all been forced to go to this school where there's essentially no hierarchy in real life you always have some kind of hierarchy based on competence and skills and humans need hierarchy psychologically they need to know who's on top and who's on the bottom in school it's there is no official hierarchy so when the in any situation where there's no hierarchy popularity becomes the hierarchy in the sense that how popular you can become will determine how high up you are in your hierarchy so which is why things like dressing trendily is very cool to teenagers or, or playing some kind of musical instrument because these things add to your popularity so the more popular you can get the better your social status in these circles will be and that happens everywhere where there is no skill or competence level that can be used to create a natural hierarchy it happens for example if you take a group of housewives there's no they're essentially insulated from the real world just like these kids and they will also form hierarchies based on who has the most expensive purse or something like that so to form these hierarchies you will humans have this thing where they feel that by putting someone down their own status rises so when you have a hierarchy of these kids at school the people who are in the middle who are not sure of their status and they're trying to assert their status to everyone that's the people who bully everyone else so people who are already high status in the school are not typically the people who will be doing the bullying the bullying is usually done by someone who's in the middle and they are insecure about their position in that social hierarchy that's 90% of people being bullied and the people who are being bullied are usually people who are nerds like there are some dumb kids being bullied too but 90% of people who are bullied are nerds and the reason that happens is that nerds are people who don't care about popularity that's what makes them nerds the, the definition of a nerd is someone who does not care about being popular and who just focuses on their interests and hobbies and whatever so these guys who don't care about being popular are naturally at the bottom of the hierarchy because they don't they're not popular mm-hmm. and they're not playing the game yeah they're not playing that game and the people who are insecure of their position in the game the middle guys are the ones who are bullying them and the people at the top don't bully anyone because they don't need to so the guys who are the nerds and usually i have found that these guys they just they're they're so they're so smart that sometimes they just know that this status game is not worth playing intrinsically like these are like 13 14 year olds and they already are aware of the fact that the status game is worthless and even though they do want the bullying to end and they want to be popular they just know that it's not worth the effort and time because to be popular and you know being someone who gets a lot of popularity and attention that takes a lot of work and a move some of the most popular people 
will spend a lot of time working on being popular, like figuring out the best trends, the best songs to listen to and trying to manage their reputation in school or whatever. So these guys are actually working very hard. It isn't something that happens passively. The popular kids are popular because they're working at it. And the nerds know that this is a waste of my time. They call these people are idiots and I'm not going to waste my time on this, which is why they're low on the hierarchy. And that's why nerds get beat up. But the thing is that the nerd would not give it up in the sense that he would not exchange his intelligence for popularity. Because he's smart enough to know that this popularity thing is bullshit. So these ages of 11, 12, 13, 14, this is the period where everyone's crammed into a room. There is no hierarchy. There is no sense of competence. And that's why you have this society of people that are so insulated from reality that their hierarchy itself becomes their ability to climb in the hierarchy. And there's a very good article on this by Paul Graham called Why Nerds Are Unpopular. I highly recommend reading it for anyone who's interested in this topic. But that's essentially the reasoning behind why it happens. Wow, that's one of the most logical breakdowns as to why bullying happens, and specifically at that age. Because one of my uh, close friends right now, Harsh, uh, he actually um, is, uh, he wrote a book recently for teenagers who are getting bullied, and he's targeting the parents of people around that age so he he could learn and he could uh, present interviews. There's basically tools of the titans for teenagers, uh, and a lot of great names are in that book. And as my friend was creating this book, he noticed that a lot of people that are getting bullied are in that age. And initially I thought, oh, okay, it's because uh, people are just entering the teenage years from 12 to 13. But I really liked how you reasoned it out and broke it down with hierarchies and everything. I think it has a lot to do with the hierarchy and there being no competence-based thing to form a hierarchy. Because if you take something like football, People who play football, even the kids, there's a natural hierarchy and the guys who play really well on the top and the guys who suck are at the bottom. And the guys at the top are generally friendly and want to help the guys at the bottom. So there's no competition here in the sense that there's no people competing on popularity. You're either good at football or you're not. So you will rarely see people being bullied in a football class because... It's very easy to determine competency. But where there is no such marker of competency, it's just popularity, popularity, and your ability to be popular. And just to be popular, I mean, you said it yourself, it requires a a bunch of work. You got to keep staying updated with the trends. And you naturally need to either care about these trends or need to care about being popular for you to just keep updating your software routinely. Have you ever heard of this book called The Long Tail by Chris Anderson? I have not. It's a great book, and I believe it was written almost a decade ago. Uh, basically, he's uh, an economist, and he's very familiar with modern technologies, with new media. And he's talking about how we're transitioning from a hit economy to a niched economy. 
And that long tail is basically this statistical representation where there's a huge spike in the beginning. And the more and more that you go along this curve, uh, the smaller and smaller it gets. And you just need to Google image the long tail well, you know, to I'm understand what I mean. I'm familiar with what a long tail graph is. Yeah. And basically, uh, companies of the past, Harsh, they were predominantly uh, trying to appeal to the beginning of the curve uh, to generate hits, right? Mm-hmm. But what Chris Anderson noticed was that the tail, it never goes to zero. There's always at least one person or two people at least buying something. So what he started to do was he started to uh, poll different companies to see how much of the revenue the long tail makes up for their entire system of profits. And he was shocked that a lot of the times when you're focusing on these tiny little pockets of um, revenue that you're getting from things that seem, it doesn't even make sense. He found out that the long tail at times can make more money than the actual hits. And just to give you an example of this, uh, you've heard of Netflix, right? I know you don't watch Netflix, but you've heard of it. I am aware of it. So there's basically certain shows which are extremely popular. And that's in the beginning of the uh, Netflix model uh, for the long tail. But there, there are certain shows which seem so obscure, you'll be like, man, no in heck can anyone be watching this garbage. But around the world, there's a lot of niched groups of people that are watching that. And I'm sure if you uh, factor in revenue's entire model, there's probably like 5% to 10% of shows that are generating hits. But there's a lot of long tails that are just bringing in steady streams of people. So it just connects with what you were saying, where there are certain people that want to be in front of the tail with the spikes. They want the hits. They want to be popular. But there's a lot of people that are becoming very niched where they're not as popular, but they don't really care because they could get hyper-targeted. Mm-hmm. You know, I was so, really interested to know how does a showmaker pick whether a show is worth making or not? And I did some research on it. And the way they do it is that they make one episode, which is called, I think, a pilot episode. Mm-hmm. And this pilot episode is shown to a small group of people, like a hundred people. And then these people are given, they're they're given a questionnaire and they're supposed to tell how much they like the show on a scale of, let's say one to 10. And what they are looking for is that a small group of people should like the show a lot. So if say out of the hundred people, all of them said the show was a seven, then the show is not likely to be approved because people only kind of like it. They don't like it that much. But of those 100 people, if 10 people or 5 people said the show was a 9 or a 10, and the remaining 95 people said the show was a 0, like it it completely sucked, then the show is very likely to get approved because it has an an audience, basically. It, It will have a niche, loyal audience of people who really like it. And you can see that in something like Star Trek or some, you know. Uh, yeah, Star it, Trek. It's like it's like a nerdy show for like about space travel or something. I've heard about it basically from jokes and memes, like the, the, making fun of the people who watch it. 
but the fact that someone's watching it shows that there is some niche of people who really love it while everyone else doesn't care like i would never watch something like this but i know for a fact that there's people watching it otherwise why would there be so many memes about it so you need to have from to get a show approved you need to find a group of people who re- who would really love that show and not appeal to the broader market Yeah and that's the kind of entertainment that's always resonated with me where uh, on one video that I was creating uh, it was called seven ways to improve storytelling and one thing that I said is that you should have a few things that you consume that others could never tell about you and simply by having those layers to you you're actually amplifying your chances of being a great storyteller because if you're just consuming what everyone else is consuming then you're going to be talking about what everyone else is talking about but if you have those specific interests immediately you start to become very unique you don't have to necessarily share it unless you want to but do you have certain stuff that you consume where people will be like harsh no way yeah right no he doesn't consume that and just to give you an example i'll give you two of mine so two of mine harsh well one i already mentioned i love these prank videos uh, not only because it's funny but i use it as mind junk food especially after i've been thinking a lot the entire day but two other videos that i love watching uh, one is battle rap and i don't think you've heard of it but it's basically uh, like ufc for rappers where two people are competing against each other and rapping out disses to one another uh, this is called battle rap and the other one is cooking videos where i love those videos where someone teaches you how to make a dish and uh like those little clips those videos are normally just 10 to uh, like like 10 to 50 seconds so those are two things where someone's going to be like armani no way yeah right do you have something like that mm. you don't have it, to say it but just do you basically i don't i don't think so i don't really consume that much media to be honest and so for me it's very difficult for me to give a digital example because there's so few i do it like doesn't even have to be digital that, you know okay here's something you will find very interesting that i will often pick a book that on a topic that is something that i would never really care about or you would not think that i would read a book on that topic for example i read a book on wrestling and i haven't even seen a game of wrestling i just picked it up out of the blue So I read a, the autobiography of Ric Flair and I haven't even watched a video of Ric Flair. I think someone just recommended that book to me so I bought and read it. I just did not care enough to well I don't care about wrestling at all so I did not watch it. And I've done this quite a few times with a lot of different people where I just read something and I have I basically don't follow that particular thing at all. I just don't care. Like I read Bruce Lee's book and I found it very interesting, but mm-hmm. I don't particularly care about Bruce Lee. I I have only watched one of his movies, like Strike some some dragon movie or something. And I just don't really care about Bruce Lee. I, I think his book is interesting, but I, I don't care about the person. you've read the autobiography of Rick Flair and Bruce Lee and those are things that 
personally, I wouldn't have been able to expect from you, especially the Ric Flair one, Mister Nature Boy. Nature Boy, yeah, Woo. yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me, I mean, with books wise, I pretty much read everything, man. There's no such thing as, uh, well, this for me personally, since I, you know, do YouTube videos, host a storytelling podcast, I, I do read fiction. Where in the self improvement space, they normally talk down on fiction or say it's a waste of time. Uh, personally, for me, it actually provides a lot of practical value because it allows me to present a story in different angles. So that's my my version through books. Uh, interesting, man. A- anything else before we transition to the next topic? I don't think there's much there. I the see. I tell you how I consume media, and most of it is I become interested in a particular topic for whatever reason, and then I will research the shit out of it, and I will try to learn as much as I can, and then my interests will move to a different topic. So. Recently, I read a book on someone climbing a mountain and dying. Like it's it's a book called Into Thin Air, and it's it's a very interesting book. I recommend reading it. And that got me very interested in the act of climbing Mount Everest. So I've been researching the routes and how people do it. So there's a base camp, then there's camp one, camp two, camp three, and then there's a summit. And you know that these guys, the best way or the safest way to do it is to have a time upon which you turn around in the sense that at 2 p.m., even if you haven't reached the peak, if you did not get to the peak by 2 p.m., you'll just turn around and go back down because if you don't do that, then by the time you will you you will descend, it will be night and it'll be very risky for you to be down or, you know, to descend. So there are many people who go all the way up and say just 300 feet below the summit and mm-hmm. they have to descend because it becomes very unsafe to keep climbing because it's not, see, if they keep climbing, they will get to the summit for sure. But 85% of deaths happen while descending. So oh. getting to the summit is the easy part. Getting but back down, down is alive is the hard part. And this may be a dumb question, but is there any part of the Mount Everest area where you could put like a base camp or are you just climbing the entire time? Oh, no, there that there's three camps in the middle. So there's the base camp where you just start. Then there's mm-hmm. camp one, camp two, camp three. I think there's also camp four. Yeah. So these camps are there and people will typically rest a day on these camps. So they will climb up, then rest for a day, then climb the next, up to the next one, then rest for a day. But the last camp is in something that's called a dead zone where the air is so thin that humans can't stay alive for an extended period of time. So they have to wear this mask and breathe bottled oxygen. So they can't stay at that particular camp for too long because they're using up oxygen. Into the Thin Air. That's the name of the book? Into Thin Air. Into thin air. You just got me I, curious I about to it. I the audiobook and I recommend the audiobook. It's very well done. Okay. I'll drop the links in the description box right on below. And you made a, a point earlier, which I thought was unique. You said uh, uh, a lot of 
people from the West tend to take these risks. Uh, any idea why you think that is? I think that historically, if you take Eastern societies like India, China, or anywhere there was a lot of vegetation, what ends up happening is that there's a lot of resources, there's plenty of food for everyone that these cultures just did not need to develop an attitude for doing expeditions or finding new lands because they just needed to stay at their place and live peacefully. And I'll, I'll give you an, an incidental example to corroborate this. Okay, If you take... I, I was reading a book on ISIS. It's a terrorist organization in the Middle East. And what they do is that they give their sex slaves um, birth control pills. And apparently birth control is against Islam, but the reason they do it is because if a fighter who is a terrorist becomes, uh, basically ends up getting a woman pregnant and has a kid, this terrorist would not want to continue his terrorist activities. He would probably want to settle down and become a farmer or something and raise his kids peacefully. To keep these people on the battlefield, it's essential that they don't end up having children. Because your natural reaction as a man after you have a family is to protect your family, not fight for other people's or you know fight for other things. You would want to be in peace if you have children. And if you are a single man or single people, you would probably be more willing to go to a war zone. So to keep these guys in the battlefield, these ISIS women are given birth control pills. So now you take a society like China, India, all these people have enough food and everything that they just did not, they, they were breeding a lot. They were having enough children and they just did not give a shit about doing things that will probably kill them. But if you take Western societies, Western societies are in very cold places where there's not enough food. So historically, they would have to take resources from each other by wars or discover new resources by going to a different place. And culturally, if you see, that's why they tend to care about the name of the person. Like, who was the first person to do this? Or who mm -hmm. was the person who discovered X technology? If you go to India, like people, Indians historically did not even maintain records. They just did not care who was the first person to do something, who was the second person. Like, it, it was not important to them. But to Westerners, it's something that's very important. So Westerners, when they started doing sea expeditions, what they were doing was they were essentially getting in a boat and then just taking that boat and seeing what they found. Like They were discovering new lands and discovering new routes. And that's not something that people in the East do or care about. It's something, it's a white people thing. So if you take the Mount Everest, there were all these locals living there forever and they just did not care about climbing Mount Everest. Like, why would they do that? Like, if they do that, there's a 99% chance they would die and no one cares even if they did get to the top. Like, who cares? It's just well, not what a part I've noticed, of culture. Absolutely. What I've noticed, Harsh, since living in the East and the West, I've noticed that the West is aiming to conquer the external world while the East is often trying to conquer 
the internal world. Yeah, that's a mess. Like you think the so? East, the East is not trying to conquer the internal world. The East is just trying to become like the West. Like maybe that was true like five thousand years ago, but the East of today is right. a poorer version of the West. <laughs> okay, so let's just assume the old school East, where old school East they had a lot of these frameworks that I think are very revolutionary for controlling the mind, with meditation, understanding the different components of the mind, where. If I'm trying to learn more about mindset, I'm trying to go to the East, where the West. I mean, there's a lot of these people that are considered the godfathers of psychology, but it's very surface level, in my opinion. Where in the East, I believe they have a 4D understanding of the different components of the mind, how to tame it, how to concentrate it, and how to amplify it. And、uh, have you ever seen that debate between Jack Ma and Elon Musk? I saw a YouTube video where people were making fun of Jack Ma because he was just not getting the questions and the jokes. Well, it's hilarious, dude, because it was one of the most awkward interactions I've seen in a long time. But just seeing it from the context of East versus West, internal versus external, it starts to make a lot of sense. Where for a guy like Jack Ma, the whole the whole idea of going to space and all this stuff, external, doesn't make any sense. You'll see him multiple times, constantly saying, "I want to know how to conquer myself or go in." And for me personally, I wouldn't say Jack Ma communicated his ideas properly, but I was able to see what he was trying to say、is、and why、English、that interaction was. First language.、Up. I don't think the guy primarily speaks English. I think that's why his communication skills are poorer. Yeah, it wasn't only the his accent; it was just the way he was delivering it, where he was saying that、uh, the whole. Point of going to space is pointless. He doesn't see much use for it. And if you're someone who's being introduced to Jack Ma for the first time, in that interaction, he seemed pretty rude. But I believe they just started off in completely different fundamental beliefs. Where one person was saying, "Let's understand how the human being works on a very deeper level," and the other person is like, "Let's see how the external world works on a deeper level."、Hmm. So think- you said you said nowadays you think the East is filtered. You want to expand on that? I think it's this perception where people in the West seem to think that Eastern people are a lot into spirituality, and that's just not true. I think it's just it is it's not true. Eastern people are not spiritual; they just call themselves spiritual. I think that see in the West, Eastern cultures are very exotic, so they. Into stereotype it. If you take Buddhism, Buddhism is stereotyped as this religion about meditation and peace and non-violence, but that's not what Buddhism is about. Like, if you read the tenets of Buddhism, it's not about peace and non-violence. It's it's just not like it's just stupid to think that. If you take the Shaolin monks that are actual, they have a history of going to war and things like that. So it it is not. About peace and meditation, but to market these things in a positive light, these things are stereotyped to become about meditation, Buddhism.、Uh, sorry, meditation, peace, love, compassion. But th- if you think about it logically, can a society actually exist on compassion and love? They cannot. They'll get conquered by everyone, left and right. So I think that it's just 
perception, just like how people in the East perceive people in the West to be total brutes who have zero culture and understanding <laughs> of the world when that's not true. Like people in the West are not complete idiots either. So it's just the fact that people tend to stereotype cultures that they do not belong to because they do not understand them well. The East, Eastern people, at least the people of today, if you take India, we have a lot of people who will call themselves Hindus, Muslims, but they, they don't even know the tenets of their own religion. They just call themselves Hindus. Just saying that you're a Hindu does not make you a Hindu. Like if you take, you will have a lot of women here who are feminists, okay? And they will say that I am a Hindu or I'm a Muslim. You cannot be a feminist and be a Hindu or a Muslim because they are completely different things. Like Hinduism does not say men and women are equal at all. Hinduism says that for a woman, the, her husband is her God. And a feminist is completely opposed to that idea. So you cannot both be a feminist and be a Hindu. But we, at least the people in the East of today, no matter how much Westerners think that the East is a very spiritual place, it it might you have been in the past, but the people of today are just people who call themselves spiritual and religious, but they are not. They're just people who are pretending to be. I believe it was on episode two or episode three where we were having a discussion on the importance of reading old school uh, literature. And this is very important nowadays where uh, a lot of people are operating with incorrect knowledge and they're claiming themselves to be something that they're not. So to understand the East, I believe you got to go backwards and you got to read some of the ancient texts. And honestly, the main thing, in my opinion, Harsh, is that you should never just get all of your information from one source. Since being in the West and being raised as someone from the East, having a little bit of both, I see the strengths and weaknesses of both worlds. And my personal philosophy is to try to grab bits and pieces that work for me personally. I'm not like, oh, I'm just Team East or I'm just Team West. I believe there's certain things that the West have a head or have strengths in, and they also have weaknesses in. Where old school East also has strengths in and weaknesses in. Do you find yourself learning like that or are you leaning towards one side? I think I try to focus on the truth, whether it's the East or the West. I don't think that it really matters whether something originated in the East or something originated in the West. I think if it's truth, it's truth. The simplest example I can give you is martial arts. Now, people think all these Chinese martial arts like uh, Wing Chun or Karate or like Karate is Japanese, but all the Chinese martial arts, which look really good and, you know, it looks very cool, but it doesn't really work. So if it doesn't work, it's stupid. Like You're just dancing them. What do you mean it doesn't work? If you know Wing Chun or Taekwondo or something, maybe not Taekwondo, but if you know Wing Chun, what's the other one in Chinese? Wushu. And you get into a fight with an MMA fighter, you're going to get beat up. And there was a guy who was doing just that and the Chinese government hates him. 
so they keep lowering his social credit score but basically these martial arts quote unquote martial arts from china like wing chun and wushu they don't work in real fights so just because it originated from the east and it looks really cool the moves look awesome and they talk about chi and energy and everything if it doesn't work in real life it's stupid and just dancing then from what as far as i'm i'm concerned so some people become they're a bit of they're purists in in the sense that they think that this is the place of origin of martial arts so this is the best martial art but i'm someone who cares about results and truth and if you put people from mma into fights with people from wushu the people from mma tend to win and overwhelmingly they tend to win and they tend to not just win by a small margin they tend to beat the shit out of the people who are doing these chinese martial arts so in that case i would strongly prefer learning a western martial art because it works but if you take something like culture or if you take if a western person western people are not very reserved about their sexuality in the sense that they will a lot of them will basically be considered whores in the east and a lot of them waste a lot of their time just chasing women or trying to get pleasure and that is not something i would want to do and it's not about east or west it's about making the right choice for myself so i think the best solution for everyone is to logically consider things and try to arrive at truth rather than care about whether something is eastern or western and a lot of people will stick to their side in the sense that if you go to india you will find a lot of people who will praise yoga for its strength benefits and they will deride people who go to the gym like it's some kind of unnatural thing to go to the gym so really yeah if at least in the lower middle classes of india you will find people who if you mention that you go to the gym they will look down on you even though they are skinny fat and unhealthy and they will they will try to act like you're doing something that's completely unnatural and you should instead be doing yoga and climbing stairs even though they've been doing yoga for so many years and they are skinny fat and unhealthy so it clearly has not worked for them so people will stick to some kind of ideology like people will think yoga is the best of them all even though if yoga was the best for building strength where are all the powerlifting people who rely on yoga for their strength there are not they don't exist so well, you, is you right was yoga ever meant for strength or was wasn't. it meant for it, it, it's a spiritual oh, practice you're basically say, yes you're basically from, saying yeah it's it's just about um, it's it's about spirituality and strengthening strengthening your body so much that you can meditate for a long time it is not something that is primarily meant to make you strong or fit and there are bastardized versions of yoga like power yoga but that's essentially just cardio like you're just doing it really fast but people will still do it because it, they have this thing in their head where they feel that because i am from x culture i am supposed to believe this is the best thing and mm-hmm. it's how it is yeah man i mean especially here where people think of yoga they're thinking oh well it's just a bunch of uh, people that are just stretching where in a lot of parts in the west they don't understand like the art and science of yoga 
like that there's different types there's hatha karma bhakti raja and they're like oh it's just for stretching where it, that's true it's just for stretching as far as i'm I, from what i can tell that's what 99% of people who say they do yoga are doing they're just stretching and making poses yeah and that's like one part of yoga known as hatha but you just said as well it's like the spiritual foundations which is important but my thing is like you should be able to do the weightlifting components of the west or east because i understand what you said with the whole certain people look down on weights where one time i visited overseas in bangladesh and you know i proudly told my uncle hey man i've been lifting weights don't i look bigger and he was pretty irritated he's like you know that's going to mess you up right uh, you should be swimming more not just lifting weights and a lot of them i think that it's like this answer versus this answer where i think you could do a little bit of both i think you can do strength training then you could gently incorporate in some hatha yoga as well for stretching but as you said like the whole hatha yoga there's something deeper to it it's not just stretching it's for union theoretically yes see there's a difference between how something is in its true form versus how it's generally practiced i would say that maybe someone who's truly doing yoga is getting a lot of spiritual benefits out of it but i would say that 99.9% of people doing yoga are just stretching they're not spiritually focused in the first place so they're not getting any of that so they're just stretching and they're thinking that they're doing something very something that's exercise or making them strong and fit when they're really just stretching and doing a bit of cardio it's not making them muscular or stronger so i think that if people are clear about why they're doing something then it's fair okay if if you're swimming to swim then cool but if you think swimming is going to help you squat heavier weights then that's just stupid are people over there thinking that where they're doing yoga and they're like oh, it's going to make me stronger than the gym or are they doing there it predominantly for other reasons yoga does everything and if you google yoga curing cancer you will find people in india saying that yoga cures cancer it's just, i don't want to call yoga a scam because the true practice of yoga is not a scam but most people who think that yoga is going to cure their cancer or going to make them very strong and fit and ripped is just not going to happen you are not doing the right thing for it and that's not yoga's fault you know yoga is a completely different thing from what they're doing what they're doing is like dancing in yoga formations that's a good way of putting it well that's why i mean you always got to know who you're learning from or if you're going to learn yoga you should be learning from a swami who practices it and who's who's very diligent in understanding the fundamental principles in regards to it rather than someone who's just trying to get their yoga business off the ground See, and arman i think that it's not about that i think that people just don't have the most people who are doing yoga don't actually care about learning real yoga they're just people who want to lose weight and they think that yoga is going to help with that when it's not it's their their goal is not to learn yoga their goal is to lose weight so i think that they should do something that is focused on losing weight and actually works 
Got it. And would you say that there are people who are trying to understand the basic fundamentals, like the art and science of yoga, where you're from? Or I have most people are just met anyone it? like that. All the people who say they're going to a yoga class or want to join a yoga class, all of them are doing it because they want to lose weight. Like they've gotten yeah, fat and they need to exercise or do something. So they say, I'm going to join a yoga class. And that's how they end up in yoga. At least all the people I know who do yoga do it for the weight loss. Gotcha. And that's unfortunate because uh, yoga is so freaking complex. It's it's very uh, systematic, very beautiful once you really understand the nitty gritty details of it. And that's actually a field that you know I have a lot of curiosity on. Uh, and not the way that the public uh, perceives it, you know, just the fashion statement that we we're talking about. I'm talking about the really nitty gritty details, uh, building concentration, uh, the spiritual part, the uh, working without becoming attached to your results. Uh, these are the stuff that interests me. And that's why when I do find articles on it, I find or articles or just people that are very well versed in it. These are the people that can give you insights regarding the mind that you're not going to get in a book. And it's kind of unfortunate that this ancient science technology is just, you know, kind of being diluted. Well, I wouldn't say it's being diluted in the sense that all the people who want to learn it truly can still do it. It's just being commercialized. And when things are commercialized, this is what happens. You get people making false claims and people falling for it. And that's just how it is. Like if you take Buddhism, Buddhism is commercialized now. And now you, now it's all about meditation. And that's like a bastardized version of Buddhism now. It's, it's, not, it's not real Buddhism. Another one is Tantra, where in the West, it's just seen for sex. Well, the are you familiar with Tantra? I have heard the word, but I don't really know what it is. It's supposed yeah. to be some kind of magic, right? Like tantra mantra. No, I mean, it, it's. So I'm not going to speak too much on it because I, I wouldn't say I'm knowledgeable on it whatsoever. I have enough awareness to admit that. Uh, but I do have uh, certain people that are moving here and they're just very shocked when they are seeing Tantra get commercialized and it's just seen as a way to uh, become better at sex. <laughs> while, well, they, bro, they tell me a lot of the details regarding it uh, about. Nah, I can't actually speak on it because I don't want to give out any false information. But it's apparently much deeper than it's being portrayed to be in the mainstream. See, usually if something is in the mainstream, it's probably been bastardized already. Because these things are usually that very difficult. Like if you take real Hinduism, real Islam, real Buddhism, the things are actually very difficult to follow. Like they involve real sacrifice and effort or disciplined in your you have to be very disciplined in your life and and no one wants to do that <laughs> so you end up with these bastardized easy versions that don't really give you much if you take something like um have you seen those commercials where they give you something uh that just vibrates your stomach. Like it's like a vibration device on your stomach and it's supposed to help you lose weight. Yeah, I've seen those before. That's bullshit. And that's 
a bastardization of the era where technology was helping people solve real problems mm-hmm. and now they have made this which doesn't work you'll see a lot of musicians do that as well when when they were first coming up they had this niche group of fans that are like yeah this guy makes good music and in the music industry when you're considered to sell out that's when you stop making music for that group and you start to commercialize a lot of your songs and it's just a lot of generic hits i had a question for you harsh do you ever see life math money becoming so freaking big that it's starting to attract a mainstream crowd that you didn't intend or is it already happening cuz you you're it, at a north of 200,000 and the reason why i will often tweet out things that will make me lose followers is to keep my audience purer in the sense that i don't want a large audience who i have to censor myself or appease in any way so i will often say things that i know are going to be super controversial and going to make me lose 1000 or 2000 followers and the reason i do that is to get rid of all these people who keep trying to pigeonhole me into their own thing so you thin the herd with certain posts when i hit you up for this recent uh, podcast it was hilarious because at the time it was life math money the simp slayer <laughs> <laughs> i got mobbed for something and when i get mobbed i usually put up simp slayer or something funny just for the context of all the people who are mobbing me like this is you like you're a simp and simps make very they're very easy to mobilize in the sense that usually when you say something that feminists don't like all these simps will just start defending them because in their mind this is their sexual strategy they think that if i defend this woman online she will sleep with me like at some level they think that do you recall why you got mobbed recently it happens so often that i don't really remember <laughs> but i think it was for you know, I lost count. saying that <laughs> uh it's I, I don't see why someone would want to marry a 28 year old woman or older because marriage marriage is about children and these women are not likely to give you lots of children or healthy children and you had a bunch of these 28 year old or 30 year old women who were single getting mad about it for obvious reasons and then you had a lot of soy boys and simps try to mob me so i changed my name to simpsleer and ran a sale and made a lot of money <laughs> you ran a sale i i will well, usually run a sale if i'm being mobbed it just it's a very practical thing to do the business side of it i mean how practical is it does it boost your revenue by a lot and get you some subscribers as well see it's it's a very easy way to make 5000 dollars in a couple of hours so yeah it's worth doing interesting there are people who do get mobbed but i don't think they ever have something to sell where they're they like should. okay let me turn be smart yeah, um, make something uh, do you want to just roughly break down that process i mean do you like once you see that you're getting mobbed is there like a promotional email that you do or no, do you run see, a promotion see on the tweet that people are mobbing you for just put up uh-huh. your newsletter links and your product links and just leave it like that that tweet see the thing is that 
when something is getting a lot of attention it's not just getting negative attention there's a lot of positive attention as well and a lot of new people are going to see your account so you might as well just leave your products and let them know that these products exist and they can buy it you can like leave a sale link or something mm-hmm. and that's how i do it like i don't intentionally go around trying to get mobbed but when happens. you are honest and you you say your mind there are a lot of weak minded people like simps feminists etc who would hate the fact that there's someone speaking the truth so they get mad and try to mob you so it is your moral obligation to monetize it you're getting hate mobbed anyway so might as well make some money out of it see it's like you know you when you had slavery in the west the people who were trying to free slaves and teach slaves how to read they were the most hated people of their time and that's what's happening to lmm in the sense that i'm t- teaching men how to be free and the people who want men to be slaves like feminists they hate it because see if all men start thinking of themselves and they start like okay i what do i want for my life what do i want from a marriage then no one will marry these women and they are scared of that on some level that's why they hate the fact that that's why they hate it when someone says that only virgins are worth marrying because if everyone was doing it then they would be single forever which is why they try to censor it otherwise there's no real re- there's no logical reason why you would want to do that like if you say something i i do i think is stupid or i disagree with i will not go around trying to censor you but if i feel threatened then i will so that's what's happening here do you have these groups of people who feel very threatened that if more people follow this ideology they will not get their way with the world so that's why they hate it like that's the same reason why slavers hated people who were trying to teach slaves how to read because then the slaves will start thinking for themselves and be like okay this is not right let's fight back and If, do you go ahead go ahead so for example yeah so if you're telling men that you should pick a wife that's you should only marry a woman that's smart to marry like in the sense that you should marry a woman who can cook well and who wants to have children and is young and can give you lots of children all the women who can't cook and are too old to have many children etc are completely predictably threatened by the idea and that's why they try to shut you down they don't they don't give you any logical reason why you're wrong because you're not wrong they just keep calling you a misogynist because when you label something you it's easier to attack it so it's just it's just how it is like it's how humans work they are threatened so they want to shut you down but i am still here have you ever had one of those moments harsh when someone uh, or a group did mob you and was your tweet reported as you know being harmful you know when a lot of people report one tweet Uh, something like that happens has that ever happened to you or are you pretty strategic with your words it hasn't happened to me and to be honest twitter has never bothered me with things like this like i've never had a tweet taken down my it account doesn't to me on instagram but for a completely different reason like there was a tweet where i was quoting stalin on saying that the way to take over a country is to first take over its press and that 
post was removed for promoting hateful symbols and hateful figures so yeah on like, instagram on instagram instagram is extremely conservative and not i would not say conservative in the sense that they have very strict rules and their rules make no sense and are very arbitrarily imposed so i don't think that quoting stalin saying that you take over the newspaper to control people is promoting stalin i think i'm just trying to make a point about newspapers not being honest anymore so but they don't care like i even appealed it and i lost the appeal so it is how it is like facebook and instagram have the worst free speech and as much as people complain about twitter compared to facebook twitter is like the bastion of free speech really i actually thought you were going to say the opposite See, I don't no think particular reason. Twitter has enough free speech, but compared to Instagram and Facebook, it's really good. Like on Instagram, if you make a post that says "I am homophobic," that is hate speech. Mm-hmm. On and Instagram. On Instagram, it's I read the rules on hate speech because I was a bit surprised to see myself like get a post removed. So I read all the rules, and their examples are just stupid. Like I wrote an article on this. and the example that like if you say men and women are not the same and one is better than the other that is hate speech so anything that implies that men and women are different is hate speech and that's just that that's stupid if i think apples and oranges are different does that mean i hate one of them no but apparently on instagram it does and did you have something like that happen on facebook as well where someone where you got removed i don't know to be honest i don't, I don't actually check facebook I, i have a software and what it does is that it mimics my tweets on facebook but i think the last time i logged into facebook was like a year ago so i have gotcha. no idea yeah dude so with the armani talks brand i haven't really had that many controversial tweets uh, but w- one of the things that became really controversial was a hilarious one so i basically made a post saying that uh, one of the most toxic things are slow walkers and you know a b- bit of it was irritation because uh, there was this one time when i had this perfect path to myself no one knew about it and uh, basically i was i'm a pretty i wouldn't say a fast walker i'm a person who walks with purpose and eventually it got to a point where a lot of different people found this path and it shocked me how freaking slow certain people walk they're dragging their feet and stuff and i made a tweet about this and the tweet ended up going viral and you know what comes with a viral tweet a lot of positivity and a lot of negativity and the positive people were like yeah man i mean walk with some damn purpose all the negative people were like and you should be ashamed of yourself for saying something like that how dare you and what if the person is injured i'm like well duh buddy i'm not talking about people who are walking slow when they're injured i'm talking about capable people who are walking like they have no place to go yeah you get a lot of that like the whole uh, strawman argument but what about some extreme situation like the tweet i mentioned where i said that i would only marry a girl younger than 28 there were actually people calling me a pedophile for it like i i didn't say marry a 12 year old i said marry someone like who's less than 
but according to them like if i want to marry someone younger why not marry a 5 year old like, it makes zero sense but they wrote that to you yeah i think a lot of people like i think there was like a group of people who were calling me a pedophile so you have a lot of idiots online and people have this thing where they pick a straw man and they think that attacking the straw man means they're attacking your argument but it's a feature of being online i think i strongly advise anyone who has this a lot to monetize it like if you're going to get all this hate like might as well make money off it these idiots are going to promote you for free man i should have had a walking course this is how you walk folks on that tweet you don't need a walking course you just need anything anything and just yeah. put it <laughs> it's too funny man i don't think anyone would have actually thought of that where initially when they're getting mobbed they're just in panic mode they're like oh my god how do i make it stop oh no all these people just searched my linkedin what's going on but you i don't think <laughs> see nothing <laughs> happens when you get mobbed, mobbed okay like people who never get mobbed are very scared of it happening but as someone who's been mobbed like dozens of times nothing comes of it like these people will come and go and two three days later you're back at where you were so there's to be afraid of mobs is just stupid but the worst thing you can do when you get mobbed is apologize or try to explain yourself because once you start doing that then you're fucked like they will not stop attacking you and they will like it's like a bunch of hounds you know like if they sense some of this if they sense a weak prey then they will keep pouncing on you but if you start making fun of them and start making money off of them then there's no point attacking you because you don't there's they can't hurt you anymore do you have a blog on this by any chance that i could link in the description box i do oh, not no. but i think that's a good topic i can write about okay no cuz i've seen dude a different people when they get mobbed the whole idea of not apologizing is very counterintuitive to them so when you're over here just basically saying yo don't apologize they're like oh yeah and now you're able to break it down with logic i'm pretty sure a post like that will be in demand as uh, the internet continues to scale i agree i think i should write it i'm going to do that this weekend you know what's yeah. interesting is that even if you're wrong apologizing is a mistake because it's going to encourage them to come back again now you have to if you apologize once you have to watch your words forever mhm that because, actually hap- mm-hmm. that happened to a football player here harsh where he was you know sticking up for police officers and the way that he said it uh, there was like this prominent basketball player who called him out and basically got a whole mob on him and this football player apologized and he was just overdoing it with the apology where he was stuck in the middle uh, the people that were initially agreeing with him were like man why do you apologize and the people he apologized to were like how do we know you actually mean it so it was a lose lose situation for him uh he made the mistake of apologizing <laughs> what do you mean he was apologizing for supporting the police so in the us dude there's always like these moments when there's certain incidents that occur with the unjust shooting um and the media will often just get that and run with it before context has been provided now yes there are certain times when a police does a shooting and does undue violent force too quick but there are other moments when they um 
do the force that was needed for what was happening. But you know how it works. Like someone will just kind of come and record the ending of what happened, not what led to that moment. And there's in the U.S., there's a lot of people that just despise the police officers, where there's another group of people that love the officers. And there's other people that understand that it's a context-based issue. So this person was like, you know, saying, listen, we need the police officers, which seems like common sense. Imagine any place without any law enforcement. And people were just, people were emotional. They were just calling this person uh, detached from the world, didn't understand what was going on. And, uh, and he was, he apologized, man. I mean, uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Harsh. Let me just actually expand on this. Where I'm from, uh, from Bangladesh, the U.S., if a cop tells us to do something, we do it without hesitation just because my parents and just my culture kept programming that in my head when I was a little kid. I once had this cop that once came up to me and I was at this you know bar with a few friends, uh, a hookah bar. And this guy just comes up to me and is like, did you pay for that? I'm like, yeah. He's like, uh, show me your receipt. And this cop is basically just looking for trouble. And I could have easily been like, nah, man, am I being detained or something like that? But the first thing I did on autopilot was just give him my uh, driver's license uh, and gave him the receipt too, where I'm not going to play around with a guy that has a gun and has the right to that gun. Wait, so should your police officers normally carry guns? Yeah, uh, like police officers? They carry guns? Yeah, they yeah, they, I mean, they have a gun in their holster and tasers. Like all of them, or is it like just some of them? I'm pretty sure all of them, dude. You, your zone? I don't think I've ever seen a police officer with a gun. Like they will have a stick sometimes, but never a gun. Oh, whoa! Like, why would that's... they need a gun? Bro, what, what if uh, someone else has a gun and is shooting at them, like oh, a right. robber or something? It's, it's, so you in America, everyone has a gun. I forgot. You don't have that in India. Like no one has a gun in India. Like very, very rare. Oh, dude, that's actually. I'm glad that you brought that up because that's. I guess that's a huge difference. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to carry on. So the guy was like, "Oh, okay, okay. So you actually did buy this?" I'm like, "Yeah, man, I bought this." But for me personally, man, I just don't mess with uh, police officers like that. Where I'm ever, even if I'm hypothetically knowing that they're wrong. I'm not going to challenge them until they leave because I know that certain people in these sort of pressure individuals can do something that they regret and I don't want to be put in that position. So there's a huge debate regarding uh, police officers and citizens in the U.S. in certain pockets. I wouldn't say everyone is talking about this, but the media here really makes this an uh, issue. So that's just a little bit of reason as to why this quarterback got attacked like that. Mm, I see. So it was from what I can tell what you have told me and from the tweets I've seen, it's, is it something like these policemen think maybe black people or some other communities are, have more crime. So they were like precautionarily attacking them or doing more checks on them. Yeah. I mean, so that's where I don't have much research on, but what I can tell you from public perception in the media, for example, is that uh, cops are 
being openly discriminatory against uh, black people. Uh, but my thing is that the cops are not just this entity. There's diversity within that as well. But once again, um, it's one of those things like the um, gender wage gap, where it's like, at first, you could say yes, no. But the deeper you keep getting in, there's a case to be made for both parties. You see what I'm saying? It's a very complex issue. What is the case to be made for the gender wage gap? It's from what I have understood from it, it's like a scam in the sense that they compare doctors and nurses and they they just say that there's a wage gap when really you should compare hourly income, but they don't do that because then that is equal. Well, what you just said, bro, um, <laughs> in the West, if you said that to certain uh, individuals, they're going to be like, outrageous. How dare you say something like that? You see what I'm saying? Where it's a pretty complex issue because men, women naturally pick different roles. Um, there's different hours that are worked. Uh, there's uh, different regions, different jobs, a bunch of different moving variables. But when you just look at one part of the data, you're like, yes, it exists. No, it doesn't exist. Where what you just said, Harsh, uh, where you, you called it a scam or you don't believe it to exist. I think you it's say it one certain- of those things where, you know, people, at least I think the media and politicians have an incentive to divide people. Because when people are divided, they're easier to rule. I think that's why a lot of these things exist in the media and are repeatedly asserted, like wage gap or some racial attack and religious divides. And it's usually to divide people into groups to polarize issues so that their people are easier to control. Mm-hmm. It, it's when too many people are thinking different things, it's harder to control them. And this is actually something that we learned in systems theory, where if you're managing like just anything for that matter, if everyone is thinking the same, then you know, excuse me, if everyone is thinking the same uh, and they're united under a certain principle, then it's like, oh no, man, we, we don't fall for that. But if you anger them and you divide them, then you fragment them and then it becomes easier to control. Hmm. So from what I see here in India is that you will often have politicians divide up people like this and then pick a side. And since they made the issue so polarized, all the people on their side are going to vote for them. So I think that's what's happening everywhere. If you take the wage gap thing, you will have politicians dividing people up like this and then picking the side they think is likely to win or has the majority. Were you the one that was tweeting about politicians recently and you're saying that they don't have real world experience or was it someone else that I saw that? It could have been me too. When is this happening? Because I do tweet about politicians being incompetent, but I don't think I have done it recently. (laughs) You're like, I lost count. It was actually recently, dude, where I saw a tweet just just popped up on my newsfeed. And I I don't necessarily follow too many people. So they often show me tweets from people I don't even follow. So I don't know if it was from you or from someone else. But the general part of that tweet was, 
a lot of politicians have never built something of value. They've never created wealth. So they don't understand the process of creating value as to where an entrepreneur understands the art and the science of it. So mm. when you put this uh, politician in power, they're over here saying stuff like, attacks the rich, uh, get all the money from the rich. They have money in the secret bank, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, bro, you got to understand the art of creating value and understand that people who are rich got rich in a way of providing value. Um, they created the wealth, basically. They they have the wealth because that they created it. Like all, Our lives are so much better because of the people who came up with computers, who, people who came up with operating systems like Windows, people who created the software that we're using to listen to each other, people who created YouTube. So the wealth mm -hmm. that the rich people didn't steal wealth, they created it. But the reason this is because in a democratic system, a, being a politician is not about being the most competent. It's about being the most popular. So it's a status game. It's about seeing the most virtuous thing and giving away free things and trying to get as much popularity as possible. It's not about competence at all. Like you can be the most incompetent person, but if you're very good at popularity, you will probably be a good politician. So I think that being a politician, at least in a democratic system, is the reason they're incompetent is because they don't have to be competent. They just have to be popular and be good at PR. Interesting. And where you're from, Harsh, uh, you mentioned that there's a lot of uh, division every now and then. Is there one division where uh, there's a group that despises billionaires and rich people where you're from or not really? Not really. Like I don't think there's anyone who really despises billionaires. Mm -hmm. I don't know for sure, though, because, see, there are people who on some level are jealous of them or people hate the fact that sometimes these people who are very rich got rich because they scammed everyone, like some kind of political scam or they didn't get rich by fair means. So usually there is negative sentiment around that, but I have not seen negative sentiment around people who earn their wealth. Yeah. And just like we were speaking about earlier, where, you know, there's fragments with uh, the wage gap with police officers. Another one that's boiling here is uh, a distaste towards rich people where I had this one college buddy who him and I used to be super close and we chilled, I would say before the lockdowns and he just had this disgust towards rich people. He just like, like every thought process that came in his mind was geared towards how did this person steal the money from other people? And this guy was super, super out there. And it's just funny where, you know, you could be super close friends with a person at a certain period. And then as you start to grow up, how different you can become. Where this guy and me were close friends in college. We separated it for a few because he moved. Then he moved back to Tampa. And nowadays we can't even find one common ground to speak about. And even if we're disagreeing, it's just 
no sort of similarities or fundamental truths that we agree on. Where you and I, Harsh, we don't agree on everything. We actually disagree on a good amount of stuff. But there's certain fundamental truths that we believe in where it allows for interactions to even happen in the first place. Agreed. I think that, you know, this whole group of people who think how did the rich person steal his wealth mm-hmm. is an offshoot of communism and Marxism in the sense that the fundamental thing behind communism is that everyone should be equal. And in, in the case of how it's practically applied, everyone should be equally poor, but the, the theory is that everyone should be equally healthy. So I think that your friend likely got influenced by Marxist thought. Yeah. And he, he's one of the guys that has all these subscriptions for mainstream media news. And he's just like, oh, Armani, you don't have that? Don't worry. I'll give you my passwords. I'm like, bro, you can't pay me to read that garbage, Doug. Uh, um, I'm very selective about the information that I take in. And he's basically trying to get me to read mainstream media content. And I was like, not going to happen, man. You know what you said that you have to agree with someone on at least the fundamental principles to be able to build a connection with them. It's a very mm-hmm. insightful and a very true thing. And you will often find that when you get into something like self-improvement, it becomes very difficult to, be, to relate to people who live stagnant lives simply because your principles are trying to about trying to get better and theirs are like, let me just enjoy where I am or I don't care, I'm lazy or whatever. Yes. And it's even worse if you're married to a person like that where let's say one person is a capitalist and the other person despises capitalism. How are you going to make that work for a long period of time? Oh man, doing that is such a mistake. To marry someone right. who fundamentally thinks different from you. Although my experience has been that if you're a man and you're sufficiently dominant enough, dominant enough, mm-hmm. women will generally just change their minds to suit you. Like women are women in love are not super adamant about their opinions. They are very fluid, especially if they're young. So I don't think it's that big of an issue if if the if the girl is young and she respects her husband. The, the girls will usually change their opinions. A lot of great points you're bringing up, Harsh. Let's do a transition to a tweet of yours that I had pulled up. And I thought it was insightful. And I think you could add a little bit more context to it as well. Uh, the tweet is actually a thread, but I'm just going to read the first tweet, which is, this whole source-wanting crowd is a part of Midwood College culture. Socrates and Aristotle didn't need to have a source, and neither do we. You can state your observations, insights, and experiences boldly. And the reason that I liked this tweet, Harsh, was because in the information age, you'll notice that certain people are taking what works and 
other groups are often just asking source as though it's this holy grail where if someone gives you a source that automatically this is the right thing. Did you want to explain that tweet and what caused you to write it? Uh, sure. So what happens is that there's many people in the internet or at least nowadays that anything you say, people want some kind of study to back it up or some source, which is which is stupid because there are science is maybe 50 to 100 years behind what works. And to want sources is to just be like, not accept anything and not accept any new observation at all. So if you take something like, if I say eating more protein is going to help you build muscle, like you don't need a source for that. Like experience shows that to be true. But these source people want a source for everything. And they seem to have this misunderstanding that just because source does not exist, like does not mean that that thing is false. So what these people seem to think is that if there is no source, the sentence is false, which is nonsense because just not having a source just means that that particular thing has not been scientifically researched. It does not mean that something is false. So there have been things that are being researched today and then are proven to be true. But does it mean that before that research was done, that thing was false? No. So the whole idea that everything needs a source is just stupid. And I think that people tend to do it because they want to discredit the statement, but they don't have any argument. So they take source, source, source. But if you think and have common sense. There are lots of things that are self-evident. And it's just a part of this culture now where people just want someone else to back up a statement. Like, why do we need that? Aristotle did not need someone to back up what he said. Socrates Mm -hmm. did not need a source. Why do we need sources? Like, we don't. This is stupid. And the thing with scientific studies is that there are a lot of crappy scientific studies so just because something has a source does not mean it's true. In fact, I think most scientific studies nowadays are very flawed, especially the ones that come out of India and China because people here are more focused on just wanting to publish a paper and they don't really care about it, whether the thing is true or not. And you will often have studies that just conflict each other. Like You will find studies that say, wine is very good for your health and you will find studies which say it's horrible for your health so you have to apply common sense and sources don't really mean anything at least for most things they don't they're not that important and we live in the age where there's so much information that you can first form any opinion you want and then find a source and find some kind of study that purports that claim to be true. And that can be done for anything. Like you can find something that says coffee will cause blindness. And let me Google that. It would be so hilarious if you have a study on that. Oh, yeah. See, the first link is nixwell.co.uk. And the first line is the newspaper reports that drinking three or more cups of coffee a day is linked with vision loss and blindness 
The story is based on a study that looked at associations between caffeine consumption and exfoliation in gallicoma. So you can f- make any opinion and then look for a source. It doesn't mean that you are right or wrong. So this whole concept of wanting a source for everything is just sheep people who can't think for themselves. Also, people ask for a source. I just looked for will wine blind you and if you drink alcohol too much in over a long period of time it can blind you and this is from centina.com so a lot of there are there are many articles that say that alcohol can blind you so I, I know a lot of people who drink very heavily none of, none of them are blind so I I don't need a source to say that I have my own experience and observations so I, this whole source is nonsense like I, it's not nonsense there are places where you do want a source but the vast majority of times when people want a source it's just them trying to discredit what you are saying or they trying to discredit your observations and your experiences in life and that's it like they're not thinking critically or applying common sense they just want to say screw you i don't want to hear this and that is how it is and that's not a warrior mentality either where i wrote a tweet something along the lines of what you said where i said that always asking for evidence is preventing you from achieving greatness and the reason that i wrote that was because if you are always going to need evidence on something before acting then how are you ever going to create something new how are you ever going to meet your how will you be a pioneer exactly i mean imagine if someone's like oh well do you have any evidence that life math money is going to work out even before you started what are you going to say i i'm collecting the evidence as we speak and that's something that's not rewarded as much and that's something that should be viewed in in a higher status where someone is the evidence I think Where that the... when someone speaks from their experiences in life they don't need too many evidence and see people can be wrong and that's okay even scientific studies are wrong so many times like if you take last year into th- may 2020 you will find a lot of newspapers saying that wearing anything except a n95 mask is stupid because the virus just goes through any cloth mask and N95 is the only mask that works okay and there were scientists saying that and doctors saying that and then suddenly they had a change of heart and now any mask even a normal cloth is good enough and will help you so even they themselves don't have a made up mind there are conflicting studies with everything you just have to use common sense and like a lot of scientific research is bullshit and funded by people who wanted to believe something and just because something is scientific research does not mean that that research was actually scientific like there's a lot of political bullshit happening in the world of science as well the ability to find the right information is a skill set in itself yes have you ever had that moment harsh where you put a lot of faith in something and eventually you're like nah man this is actually rubbish later on in the game 
I used to think that Bitcoin was bullshit and a scam, but as I learned more about it, I completely changed my opinion on it, and I think that crypto is the future. Did you ever make tweets regarding it being a scam? I wrote an entire article regarding it being a scam that I deleted later. And it well, was I mean, quite a popular sh- article too. I, I, would I mean, that shows readers mm-hmm. from it. I mean, that shows the growth of the Life Math Money brand, where if you're always just thinking the same thoughts and you're not open to changing your thoughts on anything, then that's questionable. So it's great that you were able to change your viewpoint when presented more information. Agree. I think people marry their opinions too much and you have to be able to adapt to new information and at least if you're wrong you have to be willing to change what happens to people and especially people like me who are saying their opinions out loud is that they become so invested in what they have said earlier that it becomes kind of an embarrassing thing to change your mind so you have to be willing to take that embarrassment head on. Like, okay, I was wrong. I changed my mind. Mm-hmm. You, you have the right to be wrong. And just because you said something earlier doesn't mean that you now have to stick to it. Like this is like, if you do that, you will become ideological and stop growing. Like you have to be willing to change your mind. And that's just how it works, Harsh, where eventually you have to put aside biases and curiosity eventually becomes the superpower that allows you to keep on understanding because to understand you got to stand under and that's the only way that you can keep on learning so the cheat code out of this whole dilemma of unlearning something so you can learn something new is to remain lifelong curious so this far harsh we've been speaking for a long long time how about we wrap it up and we continue on in episode six. Episode six. I look forward to it. Yes. Uh, any uh, final words before we wrap up? None in particular. Just wait for episode six. It's going to get better. Yeah, man. Today's episode was a lot of fun. And I'm going to put all the links that we discussed in the description box right on below. If you're new to the Life Math Money brand, I'm going to include his website, uh, Twitter, other social profiles as well. So be sure to check out the description box if you would like to stay connected with Life Math Money. Uh, Till next time, my friend. Have a good day, everyone. See you.